Worship choir, thank you so much. Friends, thank you for being here. I also wanna greet those of you who are with us and all together uh, as a church online. I'm glad you are warm and safe. Uh, one of my favorite genres of TV shows is where people, maybe they find a discovery in their basement or they have some antique and they kind of bring it to an expert to, to check out the value. You get to hear a lot of cool stories. Sometimes it's surprising what stuff is worth. Things like Antique Roadshow, Pawn Stars, that sort of thing. And when you watch these shows, it's the minuscule details about these items that are so, so, so important. That's what gives them a lot of their worth. So for example, you know, in this collectible market, uh, it, it just, small things make a big difference. They're crucial to the value of something like a 1943 penny. Now, in 1943, the U.S. was in the World War II effort, and pennies that year were made of steel, except for about 40. The U.S. was conserving copper, but they think there was like around 40 at the different mints that were kind of like stuck in the machine, like the last Coke in the, in the soda machine or something. I'm not a coin expert, but that's what I read. Here's what I think you'll find interesting. In a 2019 auction, a 1943 copper penny like this sold for $204,000. Woo, yeah, thinking about getting into coins, aren't you? <laughs> so because of that rarity in that year, because of the circumstances of history, exceedingly rare. Do you know how much a 1945 penny is worth? About a penny, somebody's on it, that's right. Uh, you've heard of dad jokes, now you have pastor jokes. Uh, now I want to I invite you to step in with me to Nerd World because another very collectible item is the 1970 Star Wars figures. Oh yeah. Check out these. Now see if you can spot the subtle differences, right? You've got the blonde Luke Skywalker's kind of three different hues, kind of bookending the three here. And then you've got the, the, the darker haired one in the middle, but also note the length of the lightsabers. These are the types of details that can make the two, uh, the one on the left and the one in the middle worth a couple hundred bucks, maybe around a thousand, like in mint condition and in the box and everything. But a mint condition Luke Skywalker with what I have learned has been called the double telescoping lightsaber the extra long one, those were produced first, but then deemed a safety hazard. And so they went to the shorter ones. One like that, brand new, in the box, went for $25,000 at Sotheby's. I got you the screenshot, so you knew I wasn't making it up. <laughs> Look, bidding is closed, so you're too late, too late. So there are factors to consider with these collectibles that are essential to their value. Right? So in this series, we've been looking at what are the absolute necessary things? What are the key ingredients to living a life in 2022 that, that beckons us toward the people God has called us to be? What are the essential ingredients to our church if we want to be faithful and fulfill our mission to make new disciples of Christ for the transformation of the world? What I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that following Christ means serving others. Following Christ means serving others. Can, can I just kind of cleanse myself and have a confession of something that's very petty? So I fully admit this. You know what I find very, very annoying? Self-serve kiosks. Like when I go into a restaurant and I have to order with the little iPad looking thing, 
It's annoying to me. Like, I'm paying to be served. I'm paying you to do all. I don't want to find the button on where to say no pickles. Like, I don't want to mess with that. I'm just not in the mood. That's why I'm here. I'm paying you to worry about that. Or, or like when you do the self-checkout at a drugstore. This does not make sense to me. Like any medication you buy, you can't buy Sudafed without showing somebody an ID and making sure you're not on some list somewhere. So why do we have self-serve at, at pharmacies and stuff like that? Or, or kind of the ultimate for me that I just don't understand that I find very annoying is the entire take and bake pizza model. I'm not trying to dog on great businesses. Uh, I have lots of people in my life who feel differently about this. Pastor Mitch and I have, have actually argued about this and he will extol, yeah, now you know what we do in our meetings. We have pizza power ranking every Monday at 930. Uh, he will extol the values and virtues of the, of the take and bake model. But for me, I'm paying a pizza premium for you to bake it for me. I'm more of a hot and ready guy. Not a take and bake, hot and ready. Now that's something I can get behind. Now at 1045, you guys get the little bonus area. I don't know if you saw Little Caesars actually raised their price to 555. It's not just $5. And I thought to myself, that probably should cost more than it did when I was in high school. I don't know what kind of corners have been cut in the meantime. So I am pro hot and ready, anti take and bake. Are you seeing the trend here? I like to be served. That's really what it's about. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one who enjoys kind of having the high position or having other people serve me. And this instinct is not a new one. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is coming closer and closer to Jerusalem, and that represents the end of his time on earth. And he's with his disciples traveling, and they're having conversations, he's teaching, and we'll see that they just don't get it. Matthew is one of the four gospels that begins the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. The word gospel simply means good news. And it's because it contains, it's the biography of the good news of the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem and he gets an odd request. So we'll start in Matthew 20 with verses 20 and 21. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Mama comes to the boss to ask for a promotion for her sons. I mean, this had to have been humiliating, right? This is very much to me a mom, stay out of my room kind of moment. Right, particularly when you consider what Jesus had just finished talking about. And literally, the two verses prior to this, he's telling his disciples about how in Jerusalem, he would be condemned, mocked, flogged, and crucified. And then here comes Mama Zebedee saying, yeah, 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 yeah. But what about the good gigs for my kids? I mean, those are the dynamics at play here. And the lack of emotional intelligence to me is astounding. Astounding. Now, what's she asking for? For her sons, James and John, for one to be at your right and the other at your left. Well, what's, what's that signify? Well, it's literally and metaphorically positions of influence, power, and visibility. Think about like who stands next to the president when they're getting inaugurated, right? Or, or after a team wins the championship, there's not enough room on the stage for all the players. Who are the players that get to go be on the trophy presentation platform? That's what she wants for her sons. 
the disciples have in mind a worldly definition of a kingdom. Because that's, that's what she said, right? That one may sit in your left and at your right when you come into your kingdom. And so what the disciples were still expecting was the worldly definition of a kingdom where power and authority are wielded. They're thinking Jesus came to establish a political kingdom and they want to make sure they have a high place in the hierarchy. Clearly, they have no clue as to what Jesus has been trying to get them to see, which he puts plainly in verse 22. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. One of my favorite possessions is my Chiefs Super Bowl Tervis. I wasn't totally looking for an excuse just to bring it up here, but I feel like it does complete my ensemble. Okay. So this is my cup that I have with me at the house. No exaggeration, all the time. And my kids are constantly like, Dad, can we have a drink out of your Chiefs cup? And I'm like, get your own. And now I could be like, get your own because of germs. You know, I don't have to be a bad parent. And so today you can drink out of the Chiefs cup, buddy. Here you go. Oh, this is going to cost me. So there you go. It's all yours. You can finish it off. So, oh, yeah, yeah. My seven-year-old sermon debut. Uh, hopefully the first of many. We'll see. So this obviously is not what Jesus is talking about. Can you drink from the cup I am going to drink? Many times in the Old Testament, the cup is used as a metaphor for a destiny of suffering. Right? Six chapters later, Jesus will say, my father, in his prayer, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So when Jesus says, can you drink from the cup I am going to drink? He was simultaneously referring to the crucifixion he would soon experience and to the persecution that his disciples would soon experience. And so when they answer in the affirmative, we can drink from your cup, Jesus kind of ominously confirms that you will indeed. I mean, this is, this is a heavy verse. This is foreboding. Later on in the New Testament, we read that James was hunted down by Herod and John would be exiled to the island of Patmos where he, tradition tells us he would write the book of Revelation. And so the brothers would get their place of honor, just not in the way that they hoped. So back to our scripture with Matthew 20, 24. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And so the bold request of James and John gets back to the other 10. That's who it's referring to, to the 12 disciples, two plus 10. And they were indignant, which means very angry because some type of injustice had taken place. I remember when I was little, my sister and I were little, she's three years younger than me. We would argue over who would get to sit in the front seat to the point when some of y'all are like, mm-hmm, to the point where if, if she and I somehow knew that we had a car ride like six hours later in the day, we would begin petitioning to our parents for who got to sit in the front. What the disciples are doing is the grown-up first century equivalent to who would get to sit in the front seat. Because why are they mad? They overhear that James and John are out here trying to get an edge on the cabinet position. 
They're like, whoa, 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 what do these guys think they're doing? They're trying to get an in with Jesus. Elsewhere in the Bible, it records that the disciples would fight over who among them was the greatest. This had to have been what I call a facepalm moment for Jesus. If y'all seen maybe a meme with, with Captain Picard doing one of these, there's actually an emoji now. You know this right here, the facepalm? I imagine Jesus spending about 20% of his time in this position. I really do. Guys, guys, we've been over this. And so this is just my little imagination. It's not handed down from church tradition. But I imagine Jesus saying this next piece like this. Because the disciples are over here arguing about who's great. And so Jesus is going to tell them how greatness is defined. You want to be great? Get a load of this. As Jesus called them together and said, my ring hit my glasses. That was really effective. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be great? It's not what you think. Jesus is redefining the disciples' concept of what a kingdom is. His would not be marked by the desire for and use of power and authority for personal gain like every other kingdom in history. In the kingdom of God, greatness and service are inverted. Jesus demonstrated this over and over again in in his ministry. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. He was criticized because he prioritized spending time with the people on the margins. People the scriptures described or the Pharisees described in the scripture as disreputable sinners. The folks that the religious establishment rejected. Being with them is part of what got him crucified. Jesus served and how graciously he treated the disciples who after years with Jesus still didn't understand. This conversation is an excellent example of how patient and gracious he was and how he served them with his kindness. Jesus would soon wash the disciples' feet and tell them, I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Friends, following Christ means serving others. Being great in Jesus' eyes is not measured by how high you climb on the ladder, but how low you will stoop in service. To follow Jesus is to grow in humility. The word humble has the same Latin root as humility. And that's the word humus, humus, not hummus, humus. The root, I don't know nothing about hummus. The root of humus means fertile ground, humus, dirt. And so to be humble is to have the attitude as Anthony Bloom said, to have the attitude of one who was like the soil. I love the way he put this. The fertile ground is there, unnoticed, taken for granted, always there to be trodden upon. It's silent, 
inconspicuous, dark, and yet it is always ready to receive any seed, ready to give its substance in life. The more lowly, the more fruitful, because it becomes really fertile when it accepts all the refuse of the earth. It is so low that nothing can soil it, abase it, humiliate it. It has accepted the last place and cannot go any lower. In that position, nothing can shatter the soul's serenity, its peace, and joy. I heard that in a sermon like 12 years ago, and I've thought about it ever since. This is one of those where, like, if I wrote something like that, I'd be like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> Can't do any better. That's it. I, I just, the attitude of one who is like the soil. If that's what we're going to have, then we have to serve selflessly. Now, here's the deal. At this point in the message, what I really like to do is kind of trot out an example a face and a name from our church of somebody who really is an example of this. But here's what I found out. The folks that serve selflessly don't necessarily want the light shown upon them. <laughs> so I got turned down a couple times, which makes sense. But it's my, part of my job to brag about folks even if they don't necessarily want to be named. So that's what I'm going to do. Mission and outreach is an absolutely essential, fundamental part of our church. I knew that from literally my first day having conversations with folks. We have more longstanding partnerships with local and regional and even global agencies. That's all we could have done today is just describe those. So I don't have enough time to go through them all in detail. More than I can list. But a, a couple highlights, just, just so you get a, a concept of, of what goes on that is often not seen. The Carney Food Pantry was founded out of our church. We have folks that donate regularly, deliver food regularly, and serve on the board. When they opened up their new facility, I felt like I was going to church service. We had so many of our folks there. In the last two years, our church has given $20,000 total to support their new facility and expanded operations. Baby Grace is an organization that supports at-risk families young families, and it surrounds them with relationships and resources to help them thrive. We have folks that are dedicated to that each and every month in a lot of ways. We have folks that lead Kairos, a prison ministry, people who are often forgotten. That's been harder to do in the pandemic, but we have people dedicated to this effort. I could go on and on and on. I talked to our outreach director, Debbie Bazard, and it's in her estimation that in 2021, if you add up all the, all the gifts that were given uh, monetarily to these organizations that we partner with, along with things like food from the Garden of Eden, the value of that, and the value of all the, all the donations that were given throughout the year. She estimates that last year, uh, we gave over $40,000 to local ministries, and then our church has over 100 people dedicated, regularly serving these places. And I'm so proud of how these ministries have continued in the pandemic. People don't need food any less the last 24 months. It's more. And so in their time of need, our church has been able to step up because people have the attitude of one who is like the soil. While it can't be like we used to do it, that's all right. Let's figure out a new way. And they've stayed just as dedicated. And so if you're interested, if, if you thought, well, I, I don't even, where do I start? You know, what Debbie wants to do is, is understand where your gifts are. Well, we're not just looking for warm bodies or rob robots, apparently. We, we, we want to help you understand where, uh, where we can help you plug in, right? And so that's the email that you can send just to say, 
give me some more info because we want to have a conversation and a process to help you connect your gifts with your calling and how you can best be fruitful with all these wonderful places. And so outreach at carneyfumc.org. Snap a picture of that. Send Debbie an email. But the point of this message is not to get you to do one more thing. It's not to get you to, to um, you know, be guilted into service. Uh, if, you, if you want to be great, first I will make you feel bad and then you will be compelled to serve. That's not what we're going for. And, and, and many of us live this out already. I'm not looking for you to do one more thing. I want you to do it every day. This should be and can be not a program we participate in, but an entire orientation of our life. This posture of selfless service to have the attitude of one who was like the soil. It's not limited only to our serving at church or the community. It's how we live our lives. I have a good friend, AJ, who recommended this book to me, The Servant. And so if you're like, well, I wanna hear more about this, or if you wanna understand how these things Jesus talked about in Matthew 20, the principles can be lived out in your real everyday life. This is a great book to do that. Snap a picture of that, The Servant. AJ is a, is a manager, a leader at a business in Liberty. And he said the principles in this book, learning to live his life as Jesus would if he were him, and this principle of servant leadership transformed everything about how he treated and interacted with his employees, his customers, his family. It was life-changing. Friends, following Christ means serving others. So my question for us is this. How could your life look different if you stopped looking for opportunities to take the high place and to be served and started instead looking for how you can serve and how you can have the attitude of one who is like the soil. Selfless service is one of the marks of Christian community, that people would give up some of their experience so that other people could have an experience. And we see examples of that all the time. Just here at church, there's folks who got here early to practice singing so we could worship. There's folks who got here early to make the coffee to open a door on a cold day, to offer a warm handshake or fist bump or the awkward in between. But I, we, I can just go on and on with, with, with ways all the time that this stuff happens. If we have biblical faith and real community, sometimes though the temptation is to not take that third step and look towards others, but to keep it for ourselves. And I don't believe that this instinct to kind of hunker down and be exclusionary and close the circle, I don't believe that that honors Jesus or serves other people who don't know Jesus yet. Now, I haven't got it here too much, but in my time in ministry, I've noticed kind of a sinister, subtle attitude. And it comes out in some variation of this. Well, I just kind of think church is getting too big. And I always say, well, that's interesting because you didn't think it was too big when we made room for you. I, if you can't tell, I have no tolerance for that. Last service, I started pointing, so I haven't done that. It was bad. Need a little parentheses. Don't rant. Church has gotten too big. Well, I, something's a little ironic because you didn't think it was too big when we made room for you. You didn't mind then. No, that attitude has, has no place in a mature Christian's brain. 
So these are the essential ingredients for, for a life of growing into the people God has called us to be. Biblical faith, to know that Jesus is the Messiah, to repent and have life in his name. Real community, to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. To share a common bond with people committed to growing into possessing the mind of Christ and walking as he walked. And if we have the first two, the third should result. If it doesn't, you might not have the first two because the third one is selfless service. Mature Christians come not to be served, but to serve. And here's the thing with these three elements. It's not always sequential. So somebody might experience real community become before they come to have biblical faith. Or somebody might find that real community in the midst of service and then think, well, what is, what is it with all this Jesus stuff? Or someone might begin with, with having an awakening to the presence of God in their life through the scriptures and then discover these next two steps. When we have all these ingredients, however they're sequenced, here's the thing, the cycle can start over. That as people experience real community and selfless service, that they might also come to possess biblical faith. And so friends, the progress of Christian faith is not a line, it's a circle. Because when we have all three of those things, the circle can start over helping someone else experience all three of those essential things. When you have biblical faith, when you're experiencing real community and selflessly serving, you're not done. It starts over with the next person coming to know Jesus for the first time or growing in their faith. So friends, may we pursue these essentials in our lives in 2022 and may our church be a place where people find biblical faith experience real community and engage in selfless service. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for today and the chance to be together in your presence. God, we repent for all the ways in which we seek the higher place, the place of attention, where the spotlight is, where we can be served. We repent of, of falling short of loving you or our neighbor as completely as you have called us to. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've got face palm reserves even for us, that when we uh, fall short, you are there to pick us back up and to guide us into becoming more like you, into seeing the world and seeing people the way you do and walking as you walked. God, help us to pattern our lives after the example you set. God, however we desire to be great, may we pursue it through humble service. May we live selfless lives that reflect your great love for us and your great love for the world. God, help our church to be a place where people can come to know you, where they can come to experience your presence through real community and where we don't just keep it to ourselves, where we don't just hide it under a bush, oh no, but where we can be people who carry your light out into Kearney, into Kansas City and around the globe. Thank you for the mission you include us in, for the work that you have for us, for the greatness you call us to as your servants. It's in your name we pray, amen.